Formula One is back. It's room room time. It is room room time. I have a whole outline. And the reason we're talking about this right now is because we are perfectly in between two landmarks. I mean, Formula One is back. Justin, what's the first one? Drive to Survive. Drive to Survive. Yeah. We're talking more about Drive to Survive in a little bit. But for those of you who follow it, Drive to Survive Season 3 is out. And it is fantastic. Uh, there are criticisms online of this Drive to Survive season that I will handle very quickly. Um, hey, it's hard to produce a real-time documentary. It's even harder to do that with sources who are very good at obfuscating what they really mean. It is even harder to do that when you have one team or one team of videographers and 10 constructors in Formula One to follow. And it is way harder to do that when you can't travel to all of the Grand Prix and cover all of the things that you'd like to because of COVID. So for those of you who are mad that like, oh, I really liked the Turkish Grand Prix and it didn't get mentioned, go to hell. Because unless you're a journalist making that critique and giving a clear way in which they could have done that, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. This is Nick yelling at Twitter people who definitely don't listen to this podcast, but it pisses me off. Uh, Justin, you've been watching Drive to Survive season three. How are we feeling about it? I have finished the first four episodes, which, nice. which given my busy schedule of TV watching is an accomplishment that I managed to find time for something new, but we, <laughs> I'm really good. I think three and four were like easily better than one and two. I really like the Valtteri one. Uh, like <laughs> we have to talk about bot ass. Yes. In the yeah. sauna. Yeah, he, dude. His like brother or cousin or whatever get in the sauna. You just get like a full shot of a hefty Finnish man's ass. What more do you want from reality television? <laughs> Amen. And uh, the Ferrari one was pretty funny too, because it was all like, you know, it reminded me of like those hype videos that are playing before like Nebraska, Ohio State, where it's like, oh, can Nebraska reclaim their storied history of beating the top teams? And then, and then they go through all the prep. It was basically the buildup was like the college game day for Ohio State. And then the race was the Ohio State game where like both Ferraris flame out in incredible ways at their home <laughs> race after all this hype. Like I didn't really remember what happened at that race. Like I knew there were multiple races where multiple Ferraris did not finish. So I was thinking, did they actually do good this race? Cause like all the things are in play for them to do good and no, they failed. And it was funny. No. <laughs> um, so I guess just briefly on drive to survive things. I think they did really well. Um, so much happened in fewer races, which is actually more complicated. Cause normally you'd be like, okay, this and this happened at this race transition to next race mid episode. But when there's like 80 things that happened at one race, it's like, ah, you'd want to split Monza into like two episodes, right? And they kind of did that, right? Like you'll notice that some Grand Prix never got to mention Turkey, Magello, right? Some of the ones where it was just like, and we race in a line and nobody changes spots, right? Or the people you expect to win, win, and there's some racy bits, but at the end of the day, Come on. Uh, uh, nothing there happened that crazily. And what they did was they like, and something I think is to their credit is it would be very easily go, easy to go through an F1 season chronologically. But F1 seasons don't make sense chronologically, right? We spend so much time piecing them together as they happen 
that it's much better to pick storylines after the fact and be like, we're going to talk about this team. We're going to focus on this driver or this dynamic between two drivers, or we're going to focus on the competition between these two teams or these two drivers. And like, we're just going to talk about that for an episode. Anyway, drive to survive is great. And we'll get back to it um, briefly, but uh, we, I think Justin, what I kind of have here is just like, here's a preview for if you're brand new to formula one and then here's a preview uh, and then like additional resources will come later if you're like interested in getting into it after listening to this conversation and then here is uh kind of the lineup of the teams we'll talk through every driver and um briefly on the ones that don't matter that much and we will uh we'll dig into some of the main storylines and Justin, you have a very important job here, uh, yes. because, and it's it's not an enviable job. It's a very difficult job on a podcast. It's one I feel like I, I frequently hold here. You have to be the tether to reality. <laughs> this is going to get weird. This is going to get jargony. I think you know just about F1 to be like fluent enough to know what I'm talking about. I'm, I know enough to where I can laugh at R Ford slash Formula Dank. Formula Dank is so good. <laughs> um... <laughs> So this is just one thing I'll say. One big draw for me to F1 that I didn't expect getting into it is the online community about F1 is really great. Whereas like that doesn't exist. When I've tried to get into NASCAR and IndyCar, because I was like, maybe I'm just an auto racing dude. No, it turns out that like auto racing is all exciting and interesting to me, but F1 is all about personality and that personality makes it like fun. But we'll, 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 we'll dig into the whole thing here. So... I'm going to go to my outline, Justin, interrupt and interject at any point with thoughts, questions, concerns to tell me your house is on fire, whatever. Okay. Um, so have you been living under a rock? If so, this is what Formula One is. Um, Formula One is open wheel circuit racing. Uh, uh, things- interjection. We already have an episode of this very podcast called The Beginner's Guide to Formula One Racing. Yes. <laughs> so I'm aware. Make make this the Cliff Notes version of that episode so we're not like that, uh, that parallel. That, that's exactly what I'm doing. Okay, thank you. Just double crossing. Yes, and people should go listen to that episode. The specific notes on the teams are going to be outdated, but all this stuff is true. Open wheel. What does that mean? For Americans, the best way to think of it is it looks like an indie car. Or like one of the Hot Wheels you bought that was super cool that didn't have anything covering the wheel. The wheel is open. It has to be open. It's that sort of car. It's not like a NASCAR kind of car. It is one of the oldest. It is certainly the most prestigious and, oh, certainly the most international of all racing competitions. One other thing that I think makes F1 compelling, especially people who aren't into classic motorsport, is that the tracks have real turns. It's not ovals, except for Monza, which is just kind of like two ovals smashed together, which is one of the tracks. But basically, the tracks are much more dynamic, much more interesting. There's elevation change, there's lots of corners, there's hairpins. Um, There are power circuits, which are just like lots of straights, and the point is to drive really fast. There are street circuits, where the point is to make a lot of quick turns, and it's all about technique and downforce. There are circuits that are like a mix of those two things, and you have to be good at both, and you have to spit the setup. They race in all weather, too, which is really cool. Wet races are fun. Wind changes things, right? Pit stops change things. There's a lot of variables here, 
and I think what I just like to say is that like F1 has something in it for everyone who could vaguely be described as a sports fan. I think at, for like entry interests, it is the most complete sport. There are so many analytics, not my thing, but like if you are a stats nerd, you literally get a new number 60 times a race sometimes when they go around the track. Um, and the, the deltas and, and like a lot of the infographics happen on screen. So if you're like a data follower, this is the sport for you. If you're a storyline follower, this plays out like a soap opera. Like, I swear to God, like, especially this is where I recommend you get into DTS. Like it's going to explain a lot of the tension between teams that like sometimes runs back literally 60 years. This is like the 72nd time we've had a formula one season like it's it's pretty bananas so really quickly there are 10 constructors there are 20 drivers we'll go through all of them later but there's not that many people who actually like race in this sport um so it's, it's really easy to learn the whole roster why is it called formula well the formula is a set of rules that you have to meet the mandates of why is it one the one is because it's the top league of like this form of motor racing. The drivers and constructors change pretty constantly uh, and, and change everything about themselves pretty constantly. You have to fit the formula, right? The formula is given every year and it's restrictions on the car. It's restrictions on what you can do to the car. It's restrictions on the downforce and, and like aerodynamics of the car. It's restrictions on the engines. Um, they change because they have to make money, right? These teams are incredibly expensive to run. There's no salary cap yet. There's no restriction cap yet, right? You have to like you have to make money to survive in this sport, um, and you have to not suck because currently, and this could all change in the next ten years or so. But currently, you get a lot more money from Formula One if you win than if you're last, and, and those jumps even from like fifth to sixth are huge and make a huge difference in how good your team can be the following year. There's a bunch of positive feedback loops in Formula One, which makes success super important. There are over 20 races a year, usually on six continents. Um, COVID has kind of made that weird. I think we're back to all six this time. Um, and we talked uh, about the when are these races normally? Like what day of the week? Sure. So that's that's a good thing to explain really quickly. I was going to do like a how to watch guide later, but this is a something that's important. No, no yeah, let's just do that now. Yeah. So Fridays, there's going to be two practice sessions. Um, Saturdays. There's always going to be qualifying, which comes in three different sections, Q1, Q2, and Q3. I'm not going to explain how quality works. You can look it up. There are lots of great things that explain how quality works. Quality is really fun, but it is kind of complicated. Go look it up somewhere else. Um, then there's race day, right? Races are typically about two hours. They happen in the time zone that they happen in. So sometimes the race is at three in the morning here, and sometimes it's perfectly parked at noon. But it pretty much always starts at noon where it is, except for in the Middle East where it's super hot. So sometimes they have to do night races. This is a great time to get back into it because it's the season before regulation changes. Um, the formula changes a little bit every year, but when there's a big regulation change, that's huge. And there's a package of that coming in 2022. It was supposed to come now, but COVID. Um, there's always action. There's always excitement. If you're interested in crashes, 
lots of interesting stuff there. If you're interested in just like overtaking and racing, that's fun. Qualifying is super fun and you get to watch analytics. There's races themselves are super exciting and there's always championship implications at every race, um, which I think is as the teams kind of get closer and closer to each other, which we're seeing happen naturally. And also F1's artificially doing that. You're seeing that more and more. Uh, the press makes it a lot of fun. Like I said, it's like the keeping up of card, keeping up with the Kardashians, but it's at 200 miles an hour and no one's that annoying. So how to watch most of the races are going to be on ESPN or ESPN two when they happen. Um, they also frequently, if it's like in the middle of the night, will get replayed that Sunday morning on ESPN. ESPN spent a ton of money to get this contract and is actively trying to build the F1 fan base in the United States, which is exciting. Um, but sadly, ESPN is the only way to watch it unless you're going to go the illegal route, which, you know, fair enough, fair play to you. Um, the other thing you can do is you can get F1 TV. F1 TV is like, I want to say something like 10 bucks a month or so, but it, you can pay the yearly rate and only pay for the months that the, is like the actual season. Um, so it comes out to like 60 bucks or so. You're going to get lots more content on F1 TV too. You can go back and watch every video recording of every Grand Prix ever. Oh, uh, wow. so, yeah. So if you get really into it, lots of them have the quality. Like you can go watch like free practice from Monaco in 1987 if you wanted to. I like, like that. Yeah, it's super cool. The whole archive becomes available to you. And you can rewatch the races later. You can also, with them, I don't know why I'm like shilling for them, but they are a cool service. You can get every onboard of every driver and you can set up multiple screens within your viewer. So if you like are a huge McLaren fan, hi, uh, what you can do is set up the race in one window, one of the drivers in one window and one of the drivers in another window and still see everything that's going on, but constantly keep track of where your drivers are at. Uh, the other thing it does is it lets you listen to specific pit radios. So like, if you want to hear everything the drivers say to their pit wall, you can do that. It's pretty fun. Um, it also makes like limitless viewing. If you're super bored, why not go back and watch like Daniel Ricardo in Red Bull in the 2018 Monaco Grand Prix when he won it? And he had a huge technical failure and try and understand what that technical failure is. Like there's so many things you can dig into in this sport that I think are just like, it's huge. Uh, the season's really long. There's lots and lots of races, but if you miss a race, it's easier. It's easy to pick back up, get into formula one people. Okay. Any top level questions about formula one, Justin? I think you've right. Well covered it. Now let's get to the drama who hates who and what's changed. Yes. Yes. I will. I will do that. So, and don't let me forget to give the extra resources at the end. Uh, that will be important. So really quickly, the I supplemental talk... material will be linked on my canvas page. <laughs> what? Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. This is starting to feel like a lecture. Um, so uh, some highlights from the schedule, uh, some like races that are going to be pretty fun. The first race is going to be cool because it's the first race. That's this weekend, the 26th through the 28th. The second and third races are also going to be kind of interesting. Uh, one of them is happening at Imola, which is in Italy, but they don't race at that track very frequently. They did last year. Also, um, we're going back to Porto Maio, Portugal, also a track we don't do very often. We have those three to watch out for. I would say week five is in Monaco. 
if you're an F1 fan, it's huge. Don't feel guilty for skipping that one because it's not going to be that interesting. I like track nine on July two, uh, two through four. That's the Red Bull ring. Uh, Spa is always fun. That's in August. Uh, watch the Dutch Grand Prix this year. They haven't been to this circuit in forever. Uh, it's in Zandvoort in the Netherlands, and that's going to be in September. Uh, and then very, very excitingly, this is a long way out, but next December 3rd and third through 5th, uh, there's going to be a street circuit in Saudi Arabia, which is huge for like, not only this, but international relations, because it's massive that like, you know, Saudi Arabia is being trusted with this Grand Prix and like, it's a huge soft power thing. Uh, so it's going to be super interesting to see like the cultural impact of that in Saudi Arabia, but also should be a fun race because no one's ever raced this circuit before. It's brand new. It's on the streets of the city of Jeddah. Uh, it's going to be pretty rad. Okay. on to the drivers in what I believe is finishing order of last year. Um, so this is drivers and teams. Again, there's 10 constructors and 20 drivers um, uh, um when to make this go by a bit faster when you say the driver also mention their teammate right after okay cool yeah. so we have in last place from last year williams their engine supplier is mercedes uh and their drivers are george russell and nicholas latifi uh Mer williams is a family-owned constructor that their family just like finally got pushed out of the business last year so who knows how much longer Williams will exist as a thing, but Williams used to be like a perennial powerhouse that is now god awful. They are terrible, although lots of people think they will finish ahead of the second team this year, which is Haas. Um, Haas has, this is tricky. Okay, so Haas is the only American Formula One team. Uh, so if you're really just a big America stan in uh, international sport, Haas is a cool option. They have one driver named Mick Schumacher, um, who is the son of Michael. Michael Schumacher. That's right. Michael Schumacher, who was uh, the best of all time, except for maybe Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, who's a driver from Mercedes, we'll get to, has just tied this kid's dad in most world titles of all time for a driver. Um, their other driver is Nikita Mazepin. For now, Nikita Mazepin has had not just like allegations, but actual video evidence of sexual harassment brought out against him. And it's inexcusable and Haas should drop him. Um, the reason Haas might be or Williams is expected to be better than Haas this year is because they have a Mercedes power unit and a little bit more money being injected into the team, whereas Haas has a Ferrari power unit. We will get to why that is later, but. If you hear Ferrari power unit in this conversation, get nervous. Um, um, do, do you think Haas will eventually drop him? Because I remember that story first popping up months ago. So here's here's the deal. No, um, Haas won't drop him because there's a thing in Formula One called pay drivers. Drivers that are selected not because they're necessarily super good drivers or the most deserving of a seat in the pinnacle of motorsport but because these teams need a lot of money to keep running. Mazepin's dad is a Russian oil gark who um, has more money than God. Um, he can use the team to sponsor his own things. He can directly fund the team just by like giving them money uh, because he's become an investor in the team. 
And Haas is run by Gene Haas, who is an American motorsport guy. Uh, super big in like IndyCar and NASCAR, but like never put that much work into his own Formula One team. Okay. Uh, he's a real piece of work, just like not a fun dude. And like, I think Haas wants to sell the team eventually. Um, I heard an interesting conspiracy theory that, so the Mazepins are Russian, right? Yes. And currently there's a ban on competing as a Russian in international sport. Uh, because, because of the doping? Right. So Russians can't like compete under the Russian flag until 2022. Yes. If, um, if the Olympics do happen this year, they will be the Olympic athletes from Russia as they were in the Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang. Yes, exactly. So the thinking is that Mazepin might buy the team outright once his businesses recover from COVID more and once you can actually like truly be a Russian and it will just be the Russian Formula One team because F1 is huge in Russia. Um, so next, unless you have any other questions about Haas or Williams. No, that, that's, that's all I got. Keep yep. it driving. We can keep ah, – I see what you did there. Yeah, we can keep these low-tier low and some of the midfield teams moving pretty quickly. Yeah. Then there's Alfa Romeo. Um, they use Ferrari engines. They're also part of the Ferrari development. Oh, oh yeah, Haas is part of Ferrari development too. That's a big part of the reason Schumacher's in the seat is because his dad raced at Ferrari. The idea is that eventually Schumacher will make it to Ferrari. Um, but who knows because Ferrari has two really good young drivers already in those seats right now. So it's going to take a lot for Schumacher to prove himself. Alfa Romeo, uh, its drivers are Kimi Raikkonen, who used to drive at Ferrari, and Antonio Giovinazzi, who will, well, maybe, if he stays in the sport and is considered good enough, drive at Ferrari someday. Uh, Fun again, exercise for the listeners at home. Try to spell his last name without looking it up. Lean on the letter Z. Um, there is really not that much interesting to say about Alfa Romeo this year for, like, a top-line preview. Um, Alpha Tauri. Alpha Tauri used to be known as Toro Rosso. Uh, it is the second team actually owned and like it is the closest tied of any of the like development teams to its owner, which is Red Bull. Um, Red Bull used this as driver development because Red Bull cars are incredibly technical and difficult to drive. There are two drivers and there's one real, they're actually, they're both good to watch out for here. Oh, uh, Alpha Tori and Red Bull both have Honda engines. Honda engines are probably the best engines on the grid this year. We'll get into that as we get up the rankings, but that's just something to keep in mind. Yuki Sonoda um, is like absolutely a shooting star in Formula One. Is he, he is new? a Japanese. He is new. Okay. He is a Japanese driver. Um, and he is wicked good for a guy who really only started his open wheel racing career two years ago on a serious level um crazy good super impressive to everyone at red bull but we also hear this about every red bull signing who's new uh which brings us to pierre gasly who won pierre a race gasly, last year he did win a race for alpha towery uh also pierre gasly fascinating story just published a, an article in the players tribune today about the death of his best friend, Antoine Hubert, rest in peace, who died at Spa two years ago in 2019, died in a terrible Formula 2 accident. Um, and uh, I would just recommend, like, anyone who's interested in, like, human drama read kind of, like, 
Pierre's story through getting through that. It was super good, super well-written, and a fascinating look into motorsport from an angle we don't typically see it from. Anyway, Pierre raced at Toro Rosso when it was Toro Rosso, got called up to Red Bull Racing to race along Red Bull's number one driver and just never quite cut the mustard. (laughs) Just like really struggled to adapt to the pressure of a new team and such a big team really struggled with the team principal, who's a real piece of work and we'll get to, uh, and really, really, really struggled with uh, the technicalities of the car. Um, He spun out a lot. He crashed a lot. He was just slow a lot of the time compared to his teammate. Also, notably missing from this lineup is Alex Albon, who was a Red Bull racing driver last year and is no longer affiliated with Red Bull Racing uh, at all. They just dropped the guy. Um, Does he have a home? Or is he, he just is, not on the grid? He is their their test driver. Okay. So lots of teams will have like extra drivers that are kept on hand um, for, for testing, or if someone gets sick or injured or something. Um, that is what Alex Albon is doing. He is literally the third guy on the B team. He could not hack it at Red Bull last year. Uh, DTS does a better job of telling this story than I will, but basically similar problems to Gasly, but much more endemic. Um, it's difficult because what, what those two have really shown is that Red Bull is an incredibly difficult team to drive for. And we'll get into why when we get to Red Bull, but like, I would say Alpha Tori is interesting this year. Because it's difficult to see anyone but Sonoda having a serious path back to Red Bull. Red Bull, but also Gasly and to a lesser extent Albon, legit drivers who could probably do well at any of these other teams. It's just that the Red Bull system is very cannibalistic of all of its young talent. Now, what Red Bull would say to that is they create so much young talent that they can afford to be cannibalistic and it doesn't matter. Because they, they have the most fleshed out young driver program, so why not lean into it? Okay, six more teams. This is where things actually start to get interesting. Ferrari. As a, a like casual Formula One fan over the last few years, it is shocking to even me who just got here relatively uh, to list Ferrari this low. And I think for a lot of like people getting into F1, like shocking to hear Ferrari this low because Ferrari's so synonymous with racing and F1. It's two drivers are it's number one driver, driver, Charles Leclerc, boy wonder type and Carlos Sainz Jr. Slightly more experienced boy wonder type. Um, it, yeah. Ferrari should by all rights be better than they are. And it's difficult to explain exactly why they're so bad. They had a big scandal where it seems like they were super outside the regulations last year. As, as, as Drive to Survive put it, they had a rocket ship in the back of their car. Yes. And it turned out that, that rocket ship was illegal. Um, really cool. Very interesting. Very fun to watch. Rad rocket ship. But the stewards of the FIA um, decided that that was illegal. In preseason testing... Ferrari was better than they've been, but not great. Preseason testing, sometimes a useful indicator of what's going to happen. Not always. So we really don't know about Ferrari this year, um, other than to say that they have a new driver in the team, which is always scary, uh, especially with 
cards that are super technical and of that level. Um, and, uh, Carlos Sainz. Sorry. Oh, I was going to just. You were getting to it, but uh, Sainz is the new driver. He was a McLaren last year. Uh, Leclerc's been yeah. there for I don't know how long. So, Carlos signed for McLaren. Well, Ferrari and McLaren hate each other from way back, right? Like, it's not so much a hate, it's just like a, oh man, we've got to beat those guys kind of thing, right? A, a friendly, but very serious rivalry. Um, Carlos signs, or signed for uh, Ferrari before or right at the beginning of the 2020 season, which meant that he had to spend a whole season at McLaren knowing he was going to go to Ferrari. And in that time, McLaren got really good. And Ferrari went down the tubes uh, and just could not figure out their problems. So he remains optimistic that Ferrari is still a place for him and a good place to go. But it's been pretty unilaterally seen as a bad move for him. A step in the wrong direction. Uh, Next is a new F1 team, which is Alpine. Not Um, Alpine? British pronunciation. I um, hate it. I hate it yeah, so me much. Too. Alpine uh, has the engine supplier, Renault. You might recognize Renault because as of last year, it was a real team uh, that existed on the Formula One grid. What changed? Well, the car manufacturer, Renault, said, hmm, it's really expensive to race in Formula One. And their F1 team says, Please don't just sink us. So what they did was they split it off into Alpine. It's still owned by Renault, but basically it's less financially attached and might get less financial support. Also, massive, massive changes in philosophy there and a huge shakeup in leadership. Uh, the name Ciro Beatable for as long as I've been in F1 has been like synonymous with Renault. Um, Renault was like basically his little fascist dictatorship and he was like a very outspoken um member of the community super big talking head he was their team principal and he's now gone just kind of out of the blue no one really expected him to be getting the axe in this shakeup but he sure did its drivers are esteban ocon he's a driver and fernando alonso you remember when Tom or not Tom Brady uh Brett Favre went to the Vikings yes after being like actually retired for a little while he came back yeah he retired for one full year came back on the Jets absolutely sucked said he was going to retire again and then like when training camp rolls around he just walks on the field on in a Vikings uniform is like hey I'm doing this now accept it and he almost won a Super Bowl that is insanely, insanely close to what Fernando Alonso was doing. Fernando Alonso raced at Renault when it was Renault for a really long time and then moved to Ferrari and then left the sport and then went to McLaren and had a terrible time and ripped apart the entire McLaren team. And McLaren worked really hard to keep him, but he's a diva. And then he left out of the blue to go race an IndyCar because now that's his passion has a terrible time in IndyCar. Uh, Fernando Alonso is after what they call the triple crown of motorsport. Uh, you have to win the Monaco Grand Prix. You have to win the 24 hours at Le Mans and you have to win the Indianapolis 500. The last thing he needs to win is the Indianapolis 500. 
Fernando might skip races to go race in Indianapolis. Like he seriously wants this thing, uh, which is bad for the constructor and for him in the driver's standings. But like Fernando Alonso is pretty good when he's good and when he's got a car that works for him. <sighs> Real talk, I don't see this lasting more than two years. I don't think Alpine has their together enough to keep Fernando Alonso. McLaren didn't. And McLaren is now very good. Fernando Alonso doesn't have the patience to work with a constructor to get them back to the level. And no constructor who's at the level of performance he wants to be at, podiums and race wins and championships. This man is hopelessly addicted to F1 and it can't, and he can't quit him and it can't quit it. It can't. Uh, words. He, uh, he's addicted and can't quit it. Yes. Yay. And F1's addicted to him. Do we have any other questions about Alpine? Uh, why Alpine? Why that name? I think it was already a division of sports cars under Renault. Okay. Anyway, that's Alpine. I'm not optimistic about their chances. I think they're going to make fools of themselves. Um, which Renault have been wont to do the last few years, uh, running around and causing a mess. But who knows? Abitable's gone. As much as I like him as a character, uh, he was probably making some shitty decisions. So with that out of the picture, who knows? In testing, nothing crazy stood out about them. Uh, and they race, they create their own engines. That's something that could keep them in the sport longer, is that you can make a lot of money selling other teams' engines. Renault is the only Renault-powered car on the grid this year, or Alpine is. They could start selling again, especially because Honda is leaving the sport after this year. It will not be making more power units or updating its power units. It will continue to sell the one it's making, but it's not putting any more into research and development, which means Honda-powered cars have this year and maybe next year to change to a new engine supplier. So, even though it's probably the best engine on the grid right now. So, Aston Martin, another new team. Aston Martin was begat from Racing Point, which was begat from Racing Point Force India, which was begat from Jordan, which, like, it's a team that has raced in Formula One under, like, six different names in 30 years. But what you need to know about it now is that its drivers are Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll. Uh, both of these drivers are worth talking about. Sebastian Vettel used to be at Ferrari. Yes, and, and, and we had a whole segment about him when he announced his decision to leave Ferrari for uh, Aston Martin. Yes. Widely seen as a good move. Getting out of Ferrari now, probably a good call. Um, he won four world championships in a row with Red Bull in the early 2010s and then moved to Ferrari and it was bad for him. If you're sensing a trend... I don't know what to tell you. Draw your own conclusions about Ferrari. Um, but it, it kind of is what it is. Lance Stroll is also interesting. He is the son of Lawrence Stroll, a Canadian investor. Uh, Lawrence Stroll is Mr. Monopoly is the best way I can describe him. Like he just has a ton of money and wants to throw it around. Lance Stroll is not seen as... He's seen as a perfectly competent driver. I wouldn't say he's seen as a very good driver. Um, 
but it brings the team a lot of money and a very competent leader in their business side. So who knows? Racing Point was very nearly third. Um, last year, Renault, Mercedes, and Racing Point were all neck and neck. It came down to the last race for the race for third. And it was really only McLaren's like good luck and great judgment and Racing Point's misfortune that they didn't finish third. They probably had the third best car in the grid. They were also very controversial last year because they basically made a car that was the Mercedes from the year prior. Um, they got docked some points for buying some things directly off of Mercedes. It's pretty sketchy. I would not expect Aston Martin to get any less fast and loose with the rules. Jordan was, Racing Point was, Force India was. This is who this team is. Uh, draw those conclusions however you like. Aston Martin's going to be a fun team because no one knows what's going to happen. So if you're looking for a team to just be like, I'm going to stake my hopes on this old name in car manufacturing and this crazy wild team with like some interesting people, Aston Martin would be an interesting team for you to follow. And then there's the right choice to follow. <laughs> there, here it is. <laughs> McLaren Formula One team. Uh, engine manufacturer, Mercedes, two drivers, Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris. Lando Norris, really great driver, very young guy, British driver, uh, super compelling, big online following, Twitch streams all the time. Uh, is regarded as one of the guys who's in really in the future of the sport. Like, if McLaren over the next five years figure out what they're doing, he could be a contender for world championship someday. Uh, the other McLaren driver straight from Renault. And then before that from Red Bull is Daniel Ricardo. Um, older guy, I think just turned 30, which for F1 is pretty old. He's been racing in F1 for like 10 years and he's a super good driver. Who's just never been able to figure out it, figure it all out in the right car at the right time. Um, Loads and loads of podiums at Red Bull, but left for Max Verstappen-related reasons, which we're about to get to. And uh, I would say my favorite personality and one of the best personalities among F1 drivers. I'm super excited he's coming to McLaren. Um, also, incredibly fun to watch on track. People would make the argument he's the best driver pound for pound. Um. The most interesting, certainly. The most creative in overtaking, certainly. Uh, I think his pace lags behind, like, Lewis Hamilton. I think Lewis Hamilton's able to extract more from a car. But as far as the best, like, racer, if you put everybody in a spec series, I think Daniel Ricciardo would, would definitely be a contender to win a spec series in, in, in Formula One. By spec series, I mean uh, where, like, all the cars would be perfectly the same. And... McLaren, uh, in important footnote, looked scary good in At winter testing. Yes, yes, difficult to say whether that means anything, but they have an interesting diffuser, which is the thing on the back of the car, not the wing, but on the bottom of the back of the car, there's a thing called a diffuser mm -hmm. that helps suck the car to the ground. Uh, you want to have downforce that makes you more aerodynamic and lets you corner faster without picking up off of the gas as much. Uh, McLaren's looks really, really good this year. 
it seems like they have the very subtle regulation changes between this year and last year figured out. And they're probably going to start strong. Uh, who knows if that means that other people can catch up. But don't be surprised if you see them fighting for podiums early. So uh, that leads us to the team that finished second next year, which is the aforementioned Red Bull. Gives you wings. It sure does. Um, Red Bull has two drivers. The first is Max Verstappen. The second is Sergio Perez. Oh, that's where he went. Yes. Max Verstappen is a force of nature. He is, I think, exactly Justin and I's age or a year older and is definitely in contention for being one of the greatest of all time if he can get in the right race seat and start chalking up wins. Um, He almost certainly is driving this Red Bull car to its limit and probably past it, extracting everything he possibly can. Um, For a long time, there's been a conversation about whether or not he would be the youngest world champion. I think it's still possible. I think it's even possible this year. How, how, uh, what's his window for that? What's the age of the current record? I think he has a couple more years. I'm not going to go look it up. Okay. But um, he is scary good if there's a better overtaker on the grid it's max um than daniel ricardo he also is just very good at qualifying can absolutely drive the wheels off a car and make it do things and and extract extra seconds out of the car that you wouldn't expect somebody to find all the time right um good in all conditions good under uh lots of pressure and has gotten very good specifically at racing against the two Mercedes. Um, Particularly, I think he pretty well established that he had the second best car driver combination on the grid last year, better than Mercedes second driver. Um, That being said, Verstappen is the the boy wonder who, if, if Red Bull wins a title, it'll be Max Verstappen winning the driver's title um, if they win the constructors. <sighs> that being said, he creates a lot of problems for Red Bull. He is difficult to work with. Um, internally and externally, he creates a lot of enemies. He is... Is it just like his seen, ego or something? Like It's ego and it's... The way he races holds no bars. Okay. Bars no holds, whatever that is. You know what he means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't pull punches or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and he is perfectly willing to, what I would say is cheat. He is perfectly willing to crash into people if he needs to do it to make a point. And he's incredibly hungry. Also, he has demanded that the team build itself around him. So... That makes it really hard for a second driver. Uh, it's why Daniel Ricardo left initially. When Max showed up, he was clearly made the number one driver on the team. And I mean, at the end of the day, Daniel Ricardo wasn't getting the attention he needed from his constructor to make moves forward in the sport and had to leave. Okay. Um, That's coming full circle with the... Uh... <laughs> the foreshadowing earlier of for Max Verstappen related reasons. 
Yes. That's yes. what that means, folks. That's why he leaves. Yeah, that's why Daniel Ricardo left. Also, because they're trying to develop drivers into a full-time team, and yet Max is demanding all of the attention all of the time to be as good as he is, it's a big part of the reason that Gasly and Albon didn't work out there. Right now, part of it is they were young and inexperienced drivers that they were trying to put into a top team. That's always really tough on those drivers. Um, so, uh, do you think Perez, like, how do you think he fits into all of this? That's really interesting. So, Perez at the end of last season looked like he was going to be left without a drive. Yeah, Perez was on Racing Point, which is now uh, Aston Martin yes. last season. Um, he got removed because Sebastian Vettel was like, Hey, I want to come to you guys' team, and you don't say no to Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, it's interesting. Perez is very, very experienced, and by all accounts, a good driver. Questionable whether or not he's a great driver. Some people would tell you, Yes, I don't think he is. I think that he lacks some of the steel in his veins um, that other drivers have. I think he is a pretty dirty driver who does that because he knows he can't evade as well as some other drivers. He is classically better at fighting from the back than he is holding position, which is going to be interesting in a Red Bull that's probably starting on the first or second row of the grid in a lot of Grand Prix, certainly no lower than third. Um, and, uh, yeah, it should be interesting if he can't do it, then is like, if he can't do it, then nobody can really. Cause like he's, yeah. is he the best possible get for a number two with Verstappen as the number one with Red Bull? Mm, maybe probably that's realistic. That doesn't demand to be a number one driver somewhere else. Um, this is part of what makes Mercedes so great. Uh, and we'll get to that in a second is that like their number two driver is perfectly happy. Well, no, he didn't look like that in the show. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk about it. They have a clear number two driver who functions as one without causing so much a stir. He can't do it. Although it, Justin's right that it is a constant wrestle to keep him in that spot and not get him. Madden have him leave, although Mercedes have contingencies for that. But anyway, I think Perez will be interesting because it's so different from the approach they've tried after Ricardo, right? You can't have a driver that is number one driver quality and knows it and wants to be that in a top tier team like Daniel Ricardo is. You also can't have a... Um, a kid who doesn't know what he's doing like Gasly or like Albon. I thought they would bring Gasly back because he looked so good in the Alpha Tauri. I think that he's probably their best long-term bet moving forward for like someone to replace Perez because Perez is getting older. I think he's like 35. So, and so, so they're keeping a uh, Gasly as like an ace in the hole. And then Perez is like, like hold him over until Gasly's ready or like potentially be really good right now? I mean, here's what I think the long-term strategy is. And no one can possibly know. And even if it's the strategy now, it, it might change. But I think the plan is to hold Perez for a couple of years, 
expect him to get tired of this role and either move somewhere else or move out of F1. Then put Gasly back in the car. Desperately try and win championships, right? Mm -hmm. And then if Gasly can't do it, if Gasly can't, on his second attempt to fit into the Red Bull driving program at the top team, brings Sonoda into that spot finally. A real fear is that as some of the older drivers on the grid, Kimi Raikkonen is an example. Fernando Alonso is an example. Sebastian Vettel is an example. Daniel Ricciardo is an example. And Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas are both examples. As some of those drivers retire in the next five years, probably, do Gasly and Sonoda decide to go elsewhere? Oh, yeah. Fill the fill the seats at the... Right, right. Possibly more intriguing at that future time teams than Red Bull, so... Yes, exactly. Or better than sitting and waiting at Alpha Tauri to get to Red Bull someday, I think Red Bull's probably the, the only other team that can challenge for a championship other than Mercedes. Um, Mercedes have the drivers Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. That is Cars 2 guest star Lewis Hamilton. That's true. That's true. That is like on every sexiest man alive list ever, Lewis Hamilton. Like he is a legitimate star. If Formula One has a star right now, it's been him for years. People are sick of the sight of him. I'm one of them. I think Lewis has a great story. I also wish he'd stop being so good so that we had an interesting sport. Um, Mercedes have won the last eight. Yes, eight Constructors Championships. Lewis has won seven Constructors Championships and only lost in 2016 to Nico Rosberg. Nico Rosberg then, after narrowly, narrowly, narrowly beating Lewis Hamilton, quit the sport because he couldn't do it anymore. It was so exhausting to beat Lewis. Um, And now he does Heineken commercials. With his dad, who was also in F1 racing. Um, Good Heineken commercials. (laughs) Uh, their <laughs> number two driver is Valtteri Bottas. Justin, do you want to explain to the people what you were talking about earlier? Yes. Uh, if you want the full scope of who Bottas is, uh, watch episode three of Drive to Survive. It's all about this. But in the episode, uh, the angle they were taking was like, gee, Bottas, you sure get tired of watching Lewis win all the time, don't you? And he's like, yeah, because I try to win a lot. So, uh... <laughs> because I'm a driver and I like winning and drivers need to be winning because when they drive good, they win and I drive good. So that's Botas's MO. And uh, <laughs> so it makes you think that maybe he's not happy being the number two. And, and there have been times where, uh, you know, he's sort of kind of got out of the way for Lewis to win the championship. And then as they show in the episode and at the Grand Prix in the episode, Lewis has a time penalty and that means the road is clear for Botas to win and he is hamming it up. He knows he won off a technicality, but he just doesn't care. He's just so excited to get the win. And then afterwards, he just kind of crawls back into his hole and it's like, that's fun. I hope to experience that again sometime. And then Lewis wins everything ever. Yeah. So quick note on Botas and then we'll move to Lewis. Um, Valtteri, I think legitimately believes everything Justin said he believes. 
but he's kind of in a situation where he can't move. He can't get more aggressive for more resources on the team. He can't expect the team to not move him out of the way for Lewis. That's the only way that it's going to work. Um, and if if he goes completely rogue, like like the episode kind of made seem was a possibility, because he, you know, he qualified third at the track where that's an advantage instead of giving Mercedes that classic one too. So I don't think it's a viable long-term strategy to be the guy who always goes rogue. No, it wouldn't be for him. And yeah, he can't leave Mercedes because I think he knows at the very least, even if he believes it, he knows other teams don't view him as the second best driver on the grid. I don't think anyone in their right mind does. I, I just think that there are other drivers with better race craft and, and better times. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the press is pretty, and fans generally believe that Valtteri Bottas is a good, competent driver, but not so good that he could, like, compete with Lewis if he wasn't in a Mercedes. So, so to sort of cross-reference this with, like, other sports, is, is he basically, like, a quarterback who's, you know only wins the Super Bowl because of his defense and his skill players when like a middling team's young star would probably like go undefeated with that team. Yeah. That's the case for sure. So he's Um, like Joe Flacco. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't cost them that money, that much money. He doesn't cost them that much time in the grand scheme of things. The team is optimized for Lewis to win. Now on to Lewis Hamilton. We talked about how dominant he's been. I'll make the case for Lewis Hamilton and then the case against. The case for Lewis Hamilton is really short. When you've done it four times in a row and missed one year and done it like three times before that in a different team for at least the first and I think the second of those victories, you kind of got to think he's the goat. He's uh maybe not the goat but certainly the best right now um the best of this his era maybe yeah i think so it's hard it's hard because it's like it's tough to say if he's the best driver or if he's the smartest driver if he moved to the right spot at the right time and was impressive at the right time and was lucky enough to be included in this mess I think um, we will see what happens to Lewis in the next three years. You've got to wonder how much longer he wants to do this. Yeah, because I I remember like reading stuff about how he plans to retire early because there's only so much winning somebody can do before they get tired of it. Yeah. And he's also not only interested in Formula One, which I think is like important for the context of this conversation, like, he has a terrible music career. He has an actually good fashion line. He likes social commentary and activism and makes that a huge part of what he does. He has been like a major part. And I'm not just saying like he's the big name attached. Like he is seriously a big part of the development of an extreme e-race, like uh, electric racing league uh, that will like take basically like souped up pickup dune buggy crosses and race them in the most remote areas of the world in a bunch of different formats on track, off track, crazy stuff like that. Like it's going to be a super cool series. 
uh, it's already started, but like if Lewis started racing in that, it would gain a, gain a lot of credibility. And I think that's eventually part of his retirement from F1 plan is, is to race there. Also, Lewis's performance last year had some serious question marks. Not that it wasn't dominant. In fact, you could make the argument that it was one of his more dominant seasons. But how much of that is the Mercedes car? Because the Mercedes car was by far and away better than everyone else last year. Red Bull kind of crept up on it a little bit, but I don't think it did enough to realize its full potential because of Albon, right? So no one quite put enough pressure on Lewis to even make it seem like he could crack. Uh, we haven't seen Lewis be pressured since 2016, and he lost that year. Do you think there's a chance it happens this year? Yeah, I do. It's going to be a fun season, I think, because I think Red Bull has a legitimate chance, and possibly even McLaren has a legitimate chance to put pressure on Mercedes. Uh, Mercedes always look bad in winter testing. They do a little bit of sandbagging. They look particularly bad this year. They're honest about having problems with the car. We will just kind of have to see. Do you have any other questions about Formula One, Justin? No, no, I don't. Uh, is, wait, is winter testing completely over now? Yes. So racing will start on Friday, uh, the practice sessions for this weekend. Uh, if, you're, if you're into F1, start with quali, obviously. Watch it on Saturday. Really, the entry point for this year is the race on Sunday. I don't have the time in front of me, but you can watch it live. You can stay off of Twitter and watch it later. Uh, typically, it's pretty easy to avoid spoilers for F1 if you're conscious about it. Um, if you want to know more and you have 10 minutes to dedicate to it, watch some of the content on the F1 YouTube channel. They put out a bunch of interesting content before the season. That's a good place to start. If you've got 30 minutes and want more in-depth explainers about the fine points of F1, uh, but like marketed to a broad audience who doesn't necessarily need to know what's going on, check out Chain Bear F1 on YouTube. Um, he does a fantastic little mini docs on here's what this is and what it means. If you have an hour, watch the first episode of Drive to Survive, then watch all of them because they're great. Um, that first episode is going to give you a primer on what F1 is. Uh, either I would say if you have an hour and you've never seen it before, I never heard anything about F1. Watch season one, episode one. That's going to be from a couple of years ago, but it does a really good job of like, this is F1. If you've got an hour and you know a little bit about it, watch the beginning of this season. Um, even if you just wanted to watch like the first and the last couple episodes of the season, that would be more than enough information uh, to come in. And if, if you're like, I'm all in, I'm already an F1 fan. How do I get ready for the season, Nick? Uh, there's a great podcast called the F1 podcast from three legs, four wheels. They're super good, do a lot of very in-depth analysis, did a great breakdown on winter testing and season preview that I'm only halfway through, and I'll probably finish after this podcast. Excellent. Justin, thank you for letting me hijack the podcast to talk about something I love. <laughs> no problem. I, I, I feel like we get to trade that with the NBA in F1, so that's, yeah. <laughs> that's what I like about the pod. We we give each other a soapbox. For sure. <laughs> um, Justin, who's your favorite F1 team? My favorite going into this year, uh, I don't want to commit long-term to any team in this sport, mainly because, I don't know, the teams are brands, and that's just going to be hard to get past for me to support. It's like, but the team that, like, I'd like to see win this year, 
based on how you've described everything is Red Bull because they are so close and I want to see somebody different and they really seem like the best chance of happening. And this could be the year that it happens. So I will be a Red Bull fan this year because I just want something new at the top. I think it's interesting. Like what you said there is interesting. Can you explain why that's hard to get past for you? Oh, um, I like it when I like American sports like just the team cultures of them better than I think any other type of sport in the world. I like that every team has a location and a silly name that mm-hmm. somehow relates to the location. Oftentimes like international football clubs are just like Barcelona or, you know, Manchester city. And I, I like that. I know they have sometimes have nicknames, but I like that America has allows teams to be called, you know, the thunder or the Falcons or, you know, they give you a fun little animal that goes with it. And I think that's fun. And like, and they have the city in the name. So like you can kind of gauge like the culture of the region and the team just from like that, like the Milwaukee Brewers, you know? Yeah. You, you probably wouldn't know that most of America's beer comes from Milwaukee if they didn't shove it in your face with their baseball team. Cause they're just so proud of their beer. That's what I like a lot about American sports teams. And then, but like with F1, not only you don't even get like a city or a funny name and you get like a brand where like, I mean, I'm not really a brand loyalist. Like I, I've always had iPhones, but like, is that because I believe it's a superior product? No, I just don't want to learn a new interface and I don't really care what phone I have as long as it turns on. So, <laughs> yeah. so that, so that's kind of hard. Cause I, like, I've never really been like a, diehard fan of any brand and even if like the f1 teams as i'm sure they are are like a completely separate product from like corporate headquarters Mm -hmm. it's just it's just hard for me to get past the name into the culture i I can understand that and i think i'd say for if you're having those problems listener or justin specifically like getting into specific drivers is also a great way to enjoy f1 the driver's championship is often tighter and more interesting than the constructor's championship, especially by the end of the year. So say you decide you really like Daniel Ricardo, be a Danny Rick fan. Also, there's no rule that says you can't like more than one team in F1. I like Red Bull and McLaren, right? That nothing says you can't. Whereas like the rivalries in so many other sports are so fierce and so directionally hating one other team. Like, it would be hard to be a Mercedes and Ferrari fan, right? But most of the other teams, it's pretty easy to be like, well, you know, I like both of these teams. I understand they have conflict a lot of time. They're all conflicting with each other, but I can enjoy multiple teams, and I can just enjoy the spectacle for what it is. F1's a great thing to be like, I don't really support any teams. I watch it because it's interesting and fun to me. And uh, I, it's not that you don't care who wins, but it's like, you're not emotionally invested in one person winning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else for the pod? No. Uh, Kansas just lost by 30. So yeah, that was enough. <laughs> Always a good day. Yes.